Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Dave. And join us every Thursday for a new episode of Two Player Bros, a podcast about two guys who play way too many video games. Join me and Dave as we talk about the latest in Xbox, PlayStation, PC, and VR news, previews, and reviews. We have it all, and we play it all. And join us every other week for Post Game, where we play through and dive deep into our favorite modern classics and new releases. That's Two Player Bros, available every Thursday wherever you get your podcast. part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Attention, culture consumers. Join me, the queen of queries, Sarah O'Connor, and my band of nerdy knights. Colleen McMillan. Flo Siegel. And Anders Drew. On Bohemian Geek Studies, where we take extremely dorky dives into our favorite fandoms, especially that Star Wars galaxy far, far away. Listen each week as we examine the stories that mean so much to us. Bohemian Geek Studies is available wherever you get your podcasts and is proudly part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. Nothing. You done? <laughs> story elements, Butler. Story is a great thing. It's about is what we're doing. You're telling there me is a story, story here. here. I don't. I'm like, oh, you're, you're done. You're done. He hasn't. Let, he's still leaping, but he's not home yet. Right? Just, they just need to do the episode before everyone dies. Ziggy. <laughs> so when he has sex with them, <laughs> they bang. Hi, I'm Mike Butler, and I'm Mike Field, and you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. Whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the film simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie, or maybe don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. What's up? Nothing. You done? No, we are not doing 2001 A Space Odyssey. We are, in fact, doing its sequel, 2010, The Year We Make Contact. Now, this is a movie that was suggested to us by a fellow manager of mine and a, and a current manager, a friend <laughs> of Butler, uh, Mr. Greg Antonini. So before I get into the synopsis and we get into our facts and what we thought about the film, uh, Greg, why don't you uh, let us know why you wanted us to do 2010? Take it away, Greg. Hello, I'm Greg. When Mike and Mike first came to me and said they were doing a podcast called Forgotten Cinemas, the very first film that came to my mind was 2010. The second film is Dragon Slayer, but they have yet to do that, so we'll focus on 2010. Now, 2010 gets a lot of short shrift because it is the sequel to one of the greatest movies ever made. But in my personal estimation, although 2001 is a better film, 2010 is a better movie. There is a difference. The biggest thing about 2010 is the performances. John Lithgow, Helen Mirren, Roy Scheider, great cast. They all are allowed to be more in the film than those actors in the first film, 2001. Um, a lot of great moments there, uh, especially with Shatner, or excuse me, Scheider and his family. And the interactions between the Russians and the Americans on the actual spaceship are really good particularly pointing out Kier Doulet, who doesn't have much to do in the first film other than be stock. In this film, he gets to act. There are some great moments where he interacts with family members on Earth and great moments at the end of the film where he and Roy Scheider really get to kind of talk and just see two professionals right there acting at the highest quality. It also answers a lot of questions. Um, the first film kind of ends on a downer, and you don't really know what happens. This film ends in a very uplifting moment and answers a lot of the questions that the first film poses. I like that. I like a happy ending. And that always stood out to me when I was a child watching it on HBO, which it was on all of the time. Those are basically the reasons why I think 2010 is a better movie than 2001. And I think it really does kind of get short-sighted from the greatness of that first film. We'll talk about Dragon Slayer when they put it up. Uh, cause that film is also pretty great. Thank you. 
Fantastic. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, 10 weeks from now, I'm sure it's uh, it's an excellent thing that you have said. <laughs> Whatever I'm saying. Okay. Brave explorers are headed for the far reaches of the galaxy and the continuation of the story that began with 2001, A Space Odyssey. Their destination is Jupiter, where the Russian and American astronauts will conduct their investigation. Doctors Haywood Floyd and Walter Kurnow and R. Chandra, along with shipmates Tanya and Dave, that's incorrect, aim to uncover what led to the disaster for the deceased astronauts who preceded them. Now... We're going to say right off the bat, I hope you watched 2001. Not you, Butler, but people. Right. Uh, I will say that synopsis blows. It does blow. First because all, the edge of the galaxy is not Jupiter. It's That's not even the middle of that. Well, also, the the, uh, shipmates Tanya, uh, which is, uh, that's a shipmate. She's a, a Russian. The captain. Yeah. And Dave, they're referencing Dave Bowman exactly, from 2001. Yeah. He, I'm going to tell you right now, he is not a shipmate <laughs> in this movie. When we had this movie and we picked it, I it's, the conversation was this. I'm going to have to watch 2001 before we watch this because I'm just going to have to. Oh, yeah. It's um, been so long since I've seen the first. Well, I, I've seen it a couple of times, but I will say this. And I don't want to. I mean, we can talk about it a little bit if you want to. I absolutely love 2001 Space Odyssey. I don't know how you feel about that movie. I like it. I think it's all visuals over that's, story. That's one of the things I love about but it. But I yeah. will say the visuals, because we had just watched them pretty mm-hmm. much back to back. The visuals from that 1968 film mm-hmm. are far superior to the visuals right. in this 1984 film. Uh, but I think that is because of Stanley Kubrick. I agree. 2001 A Space Odyssey, watching it is an experience. It's just, it's a visual experience, obviously. I, I, I There's a lot of stuff I like about that movie. It's, it's still watching it. I mean, it's, how did they do that? Every shot, oh, sure. every in-camera shot, every, you know, miniature shot is just, wow. Well, we, we always talk about, uh, we like practicals and we like, you know, all that stuff that you can touch right. and fit. And so I think that's probably why we also like it. Um, but we're not talking about them. We were actually talking about the sequel. Yes. Uh, 2010, the year we make contact. Uh, so I'll let me just get into it and then we'll go from there. Right. So it has runtime of 116 minutes, considerably shorter than the first one. Well, let me ask you this. When we watched the, cause we watched 2001, obviously we don't watch these movies together. Which version did you watch of 2001? Whatever, which one was on HBO Max? Okay, which I did is the like same the thing. Okay. It's two twenty-five. Um, or no, okay. maybe it was two thirty-five. It was. It but was two forty-five version, which I didn't get to watch. Uh, I only have ever watched the that's, longer version. Well, the two forty-five version is he took out Kubrick removed seventeen minutes uh, before the theatrical release. That's just they put it back in right later on. I've just never just, seen what that footage is. It's it's stuff that needed to come out. It's nothing. You weren't missing anything. Okay, yeah. Uh, so 2010, the U.S. made contact as a runtime of 116 minutes, rated PG, production budget of uh, $28 million. Coincidentally, 2001 is rated G. Uh, release date was Friday, December 7th, 1984. So it's a holiday release. Uh, opening weekend, it did $7 million. Domestic and worldwide are the same. So it totaled out at $40 million. Obviously not the hit they probably were expecting. Uh, production company, but you know, honestly, that's probably not why they're making the movie. Production company was MGM, and it's distributed by MGM and UA Entertainment Company. Now we were talking beforehand that you know, 2001 was uh, Warner Brothers, right? Oh, uh, we were we were kind of amusing to ourselves, like why isn't this Warner Brothers? Or, well, when I rented it, it yeah. says Warner Brothers, but then when you watch the movie, it does say MGM, yeah. and it's very weird. Also, something I wanted to ask you. One okay. of my first notes. Uh, Diamond Jubilee. Yeah, was above the MGM logo. Yeah, when this begins. Do you know what that is? Because I had no idea. What oh, it was. that's their. Yeah, that. that was their anniversary. It was their. Oh, okay. Yeah, they were celebrating their anniversary for however. I think Diamond Jubilee is. Is that fifty? No, that might be seventy-five. Yeah, that. no, it, it's okay. a it's a certain. Okay. Were, yeah. So I was going to say I don't. I think I remember seeing that in a couple of films, but I didn't really remember. And yeah. I didn't know exactly what that was. Okay. Sixtieth. Okay. So it's their 60th anniversary. That's what it was. I I think if you go back, because I'm pretty sure on the bottom it said six, it says it there. Okay. It's in the logo. I was distracted by the Diamond Jubilee up top. I was like, oh. (laughs) Uh, So I said it came out on the 7th of December. It went up against City Heat. Uh, But the 5th of December, which is the Wednesday before, you had Beverly Hills Cop, which is the original. It it ain't beating that. (laughs) (laughs) The week after, uh, the 14th, you had Starman, which is a movie that is, is, it's, a sci-fi movie with a similar theme. Right, you know? yeah. And you had Dune the same day. Dune yeah, that's a lot of same, sci-fi yeah. coming out. In, uh, yes. And well, Dune obviously is already based on a popular novel. So. Yes. And then you had The Cotton Club, Runaway, and Falling in Love. And then in a limited release that week, you had 1984. 
the following week before Beverly Hills Cop. Now we're going to the 21st of, of November, and I'm pretty sure that's the Wednesday before the Thanksgiving of 1984. I did not know this was a Thanksgiving film. Supergirl. That's, <laughs> 2010 didn't stand a chance against anything. I mean, yeah. Supergirl is not a good film, but you're coming right off of Superman 2, right? Well, Supergirl is the hype from Superman, so you're into that. Yes, no, absolutely. Man, I remember watching Supergirl. I was so disappointed. I was like, they're in a lake? Like, I was so bummed out. I remember it was finally in a video store, because I had never seen it, and I saw it, and I was like, oh, yes, can we rent that? So I was like, yes, I gotta watch it. I had my parents rent it for me, and I'm watching it with my mouth open the whole time, going, what is this movie? (laughs) I vaguely remember the lake stuff, and then I remember the ending when they're in cages, it's really uh, bad. Yeah, it's the Krypton stuff at the beginning is interesting because they really show more of Krypton, but the rest of it's awful. Yeah, and not not yeah, too bad, too bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this movie is written, directed, uh, cinematographed or photography <laughs> produced. By Peter Himes. So I, oh, was he director of he, cinematography? He did it all. I didn't see he that. shot it. Yeah, he did everything. Uh, Peter Himes has directed uh, Capricorn 1, Running Scared, End of Days, Outland, and a movie that we covered in season one, The Star Chamber. Uh, Outland is what got him this job, yes. apparently. Uh, and then and, and asking for permission from uh, Stanley Kubrick. Uh, he's also written and directed Narrow Margin, The Hunter, and I think he just wrote Hanover Street. Not sure if he directed it. He uh, lensed all those movies I talked about, including The Presidio, A Sound of Thunder, The Relic. Ooh, Sound of Thunder. (laughs) (laughs) And he has produced The Monster Squad. So I guess, you know, we get it now. Do you like The Relic? Uh, The Relic is the one. No, I don't. Okay. I mean, I'd have to watch it again. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. But I remember being like, I thought it was a cool like 90s movie. Uh, It's kind of, when I think of The Relic, when I think of The Relic, I think of Mimic. And I'm not really a huge fan of both. Mm. Relic, the relic had what's his face in it? Tom Sizemore, right? Did it? I, it has Tia Carrere. Well, that's Relic Hunter. Oh, am I confusing yeah, the two? That's movies? a TV show. Yeah. No, no oh, Relic Hunter is a TV show. But I also remember Relic the movie. That doesn't have. Uh, she's not in that. The relic one? is when the the museum piece co- yeah, opens comes up in some yeah. kind of like creature. And yeah. They have to chase it down. But she's I'm pretty sure. Like, am I, I confusing know. the two now? I don't know, but I know she's <laughs> in a TV show called Relic Hunter. <laughs> Shit, hold on. I gotta look that up. <laughs> Am I combining both movies Mid together? Mid-podcast? It's not a movie. It's a TV show. No, the, well, I thought she was also in this. I am combining both movies together. I'm combining the movie and the TV show together. Yeah. But yes, this is the plot of the movie. This is the movie I'm thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, uh, interesting. Composed by David Shire. Uh, he is nominated for... He won an Oscar for song for Norm, the movie Norma Ray, and he also was nominated for an Oscar for original song for The Promise. He also composed the music for Saturday Night Fever, uh, All the President's Men, and a movie that we did in, I don't know what season, The Conversation. <laughs> uh, edited by Mia Goldman and James Mitchell. Uh, Goldman has done Dick. <laughs> Pardon me. Uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. And she was an assistant editor, editor on the movie Body Heat. And then James Mitchell has done The Monster Squad, Fade to Black, and Above the Rim. Uh, you had Roy Scheider as Haywood Floyd, uh, who passed away 13 years ago, 20, 2008. Um, I miss Roy Scheider. He is really, really, I like Roy Scheider. Fantastic actor. He is. Um, he, wa- he was nominated for an Oscar for two Oscars, one for All That Jazz and The French Connection. He's obviously also in Jaws. Um, he's also, what else did we do? We did a movie that he was in. Did he was we, in The Conversation. Well, he wasn't in The was he? Oh, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. And he was in... Um, I feel like we did two movies. I feel like we've done a bunch of movies with Ray Scheider, but that's fine. You had John Lithgow as Walter Kernow. He's been nominated for two Oscars, the one for The World According to Garp, uh, in terms of endearment. He's also the bad guy in Cliffhanger. He's also uh, the Trinity Killer in Dexter. He's also going to be in season one of the new Dexter show coming out in this this, uh, fall season, this winter season. That's a flashback. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) That was the best season of Dexter. It was the best season. It was the last season as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) (laughs) All right, enough. I'm not going to have a Dexter. <laughs> Helen Mirren as Tanya Kerbuk. Uh, this is the movie that got her SAG card as it was her first uh, American film. Uh, she was nominated for several Oscars and she's actually won an Oscar for the queen, but she was nominated for Oscars for Gosford Park, the madness of King George, then the last station. She's also on a TV show called prime suspect. That's on BBC that yeah, I highly recommend. Uh, there's many, many seasons of that. And that's also uh, one of the shows that kind of, you know, furthered her career because she's really good in that. And it's a really good show. Uh, Bob Balaban is R. Chandra. Uh, he's nominated for an Oscar for Gosford Park. He's also in Close Encounters of the Third Kind and A Mighty Wind. Uh, Kier Dulea as Dave Bowman. 
Uh, you may know him from 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> He's playing the same character played there. Well, kind of. Uh, we'll get into that. He's also in David and Lisa and the 1974 Black Christmas. Uh, Douglas Rain as Hal 9000, the voice. Uh, he's done, obviously, he does most voice, mostly voice work. He was in Sleeper and Festival, a TV show. Uh, Dana Elkar as Dmitry Mosevich. I think I said that right. I might have said that wrong. He's just in The Sting, The Boston Strangler, and he, you might know him as the boss in the TV show MacGyver. He's MacGyver's boss or his buddy or his pal or whatever. <laughs> Elia Baskin as Maxine, at Maxim. Brajolovsky. I have no idea. Nice. I completely well done. <laughs> he he is the landlord in the Raimi Spider-Man movies. <laughs> so you know him. He's also in Angels and Demons and 13 Days. James McEachin as Victor Milson. He's in Play Misty for Me and Every Which Way But Loose. Uh, Mary Jo Deschanel plays Betty Fernandez. Uh, she's basically um, oh, she is the mother. No, she is She's Dave Bowman's wife, right? Yes, she's Dave Bowman's wife. She's also played the wife of Scott Glenn, of, um, not Scott Glenn, of oh, another astronaut. She was in The Right Stuff. She played the wife of one of the astronauts. She's also in the TV show Twin Peaks. She's also uh, mother of Zoe and Emily uh, Deschanel. So, you know, if you, if you know that name. Uh, Taliesin Jaffe as Christopher Floyd. He's the young boy. The only reason I'm having I say him is because if he looks familiar, he's in Mr. Mom. He plays one of the kids in Mr. Mom. And then I got a couple people here. I've got, you know who plays Sal 9000? Uh, it's uh, Candace Bird. Right, but that's right? not, she doesn't credit herself. She, she her credit's Olga name. Melsner. It's like, really? And I don't want to be known for this crap. And then I've got two Sci-fi. people here. I've got Natasha Schneider as Irina Yuknina, Yukunini, who goes into the pod with him when they're doing when they're the airbrick. Air and I have down here, she looks like the Russian Angelina Jolie. Uh, I, yeah, I, absolutely. I yeah. was like, I know this is 84 ago, but like, you can't tell me that's not her. <laughs> and then you had Vladimir uh, Skomorovsky, who plays Yuri Sletninov, and he's the Russian Roy Scheider. He's the guy in the beard. And I'm like, is that Roy Scheider just in a beard? Just did. He has no lines. <laughs> he has no lines. And he looks like him. And I'm just like, is that him? So anyways, <laughs> I had that too. So these are, those are just some funny things there. All right. One last thing. Uh, this movie's nominated for five Academy Awards. Didn't win. Uh, it was nominated for Best Costume Design, Best Makeup, Best Visual Effects, Best Art Direction and Set Direction, and Best Sound. But it didn't win any of those. Um, now, I will, before we get into what you thought of it, Butler, I will tell you that I've only seen parts of this movie. I've never really seen this film. Oh, I thought you had seen it once. I saw parts of it. Okay. And, and if I saw it, I forgot a lot of it. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I came to 2001, obviously, later because I'm not that old. Right. Uh, so uh, it, it, it might have I might have just forgot, like, you know, oh, wow, I forgot that this is even, this is even a movie. So until kind of somebody brings it up and then I forget it again. Right. So I, I do have some initial thoughts. Uh, so this is not kind of like I, I would say this is probably more of a first showing for me, first viewing than it is a second or third, as I usually do in this uh, episodes. But w- what is something that maybe. And it's, it's, it's tough to say you can't, you shouldn't compare it to 2001, but you're going to, and you're going to, because you have people and themes and, and ideas set up in the first movie right? that are going to be in this one. Like, like Roy Schneider's playing a character that was actually in 2001. He's the one that's right. giving the speech in the beginning where he's on the plane and they're like, and they're, they're trying to ask the guy, Dr. Floyd, yeah, yeah, what's going on? What's going on? It's like, I can't tell you that. Just one thing I noticed when I was watching 2001 was how good William Sylvester did as Haywood Floyd, because I haven't seen uh, 2001 since forever. Basically it was like. In college, I think, or maybe senior year of high school. And I'd only seen it the one time. And I forgot most of his section of the movie until they get to the lunar surface. And obviously, it's the monolith. But he does a really good job. He, he His acting is very similar to William Shatner, I think, actually, in the way he speaks. Well, he's very, I've never seen that kind 50s, of pronunciation. Yeah. 50s and 60s kind of style. That kind of, this is how I am. But kind of like doing it like kind of like. With some like personality and charisma, it's very uh, fathers knows knows best. Very TV show, right? Uh, you know, like that kind of very kind different of thing. from how oh, Scheider plays of course. character. Yeah, no, 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 um, doubt, no doubt. But yeah, I, I did like him in that movie. <clears throat> so anyway, so you know, like like I was saying, like that. There, you don't want to compare it to two thousand one, but you're going to. It's the sequel. Yeah, yeah, it's, and and it's, and it's unfair to compare this movie a little bit because two thousand one is. Whether you don't like it or not, which I don't know, a lot of people don't like it. Um, it is a movie that is based is extremely it's noteworthy. It's a movie that is always going to be talked about when you talk about film. When it's someone Im- says like it's film, important. Yeah. Film throughout the ages, you know, 
that this movie is going to come up. 2001 is always going to come up. Correct. So, you know, you're, when you're following that kind of film, you're destined to be looked down upon. Right. Um, but that being said, what is something that maybe, what were your overall opinion of this film? How about that? Well, I had seen this a few times growing up. My parents actually had this movie on VHS and not 2001. I didn't um, question those. Uh, it was a bootleg VHS. Uh, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> so I had grown up kind of watching this movie more than 2001. And as a, as a kid, I would not have been able to sit through 2001 anyway. This has a, a much clearer story. Like a kid can kind of follow, like anybody can follow kind of. So you think you would have, see, I <laughs> thought, I thought with 2001, at least the visuals would keep you intrigued where in 2010 in 2010 this movie there's a lot more drama in 1970 maybe i'd be more interested in 2001 but after like star wars and all that is out at that point star trek's out you know that kind of special effects those kind of visual effects are are, have been done they've Mm -hmm. been completed so i i would need something with a story as a kid well we did a movie uh on the show we did a movie on the podcast uh the final countdown that used effects that they were going to use in 2001 douglas turnbull who did a lot of special effects, who, who took one of those effects that they didn't use in 2001. They used right, it for put it in there, yeah. Then. yeah. So, yeah. So go ahead. But I like this movie. I like that. It's got a clear, it's got a clearer story. It's got great acting, great performances, and it's a sci-fi movie that, and something that I know that it's, they don't make money, but it's a sci-fi movie without a clear like antagonist. It's a sci-fi movie about discovery. It's a sci-fi movie about exploration, about science, about humanity. And, you know, those can be boring, um, but also interesting and and noteworthy and worth watching. And I think that this is definitely one of those kind of movies. I, I still enjoyed it. For some reason, I remembered a lot of this movie. And the last time I saw it was probably on that like VHS, you know, back in middle school is probably the last time I watched this movie. But I did remember quite a bit of this movie. Obviously, there was a lot I didn't remember. But considering I haven't watched it in probably 20 years um, or 20, 20 plus years, mm-hmm. I remembered a decent amount. Um, but I still... Quite enjoy this movie, but it is, like you said, unfair to compare it to 2001. But you're going to. You're going to, yeah. yeah. I mean, especially since you know that Kubrick had all the models destroyed. The sets destroyed from 2001, so they couldn't reuse them. And then, so they had to they had to build a lot of the stuff just from pictures. They obviously weren't going to do the, um, I mean, he's got that one set that goes in a circle. And, you know. Yeah, it's just too much money. So there's no way they were going to redo that. So they just had him in that one stationary seat. And they did that, which is too bad because the, the, that whole that whole scene is is just when they do a lot of stuff in the. T- I'm gonna stop talking about 2001, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so you know they had to do that. There's a couple of things that um, there are some inconsistencies between the two movies. Yes, um, you know the, the the one small one is that like when you see the blue space suit in Ju- uh, Jupiter One uh, or Discovery One, excuse me, when you see the blue space suit, it's missing a helmet because the producers were like. Oh no, because Bowman uses that helmet, but they're incorrect because Bowman used the green helmet. Yes. So there, that was wrong. Uh, the fact that uh, there's a third pod on Discovery One where Bowman used all three. So there shouldn't be a third pod. Uh, so, I mean, I, that still hasn't been explained to me. So that's, <laughs> uh, that's a big, and, and the other thing is like, you, you've never used the pod in 2010. So why, so you just had it in there just so people could say like, Ooh, it's the, Ooh, pod, it's the, bay. Pod. It's the pod bay. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Um, the uh, so that stuff kind of when when you think about the original film and then this film the the connections there is just eh. so there's also inconsistency with one of the things that i noticed maybe it didn't bother you is there's a big honking 1980s keyboard now in hal's room oh, in the right. server room it's like all of a sudden this blue, big blue and gray keyboard in this red room i was like that was not there in 19th i, I that, uh, come on that's he, so jarring i don't remember I, it might not be the same style keyboard, yeah. but there was a keyboard. There was a keyboard, yeah, but yeah. it was much more in line with the style of the Hal's room. And right. this is just like, let's tape a keyboard to this wall. And I was like, oof. I just like how when, it, especially in the 60s and maybe in the, not in the 80s so much, but in the 60s, when they, they're pushing buttons on the keyboard, it's so demonstrative. It's so tink, tink, Oh, tink, yeah. Tink. I always, I don't know why I like that. I just, it's... <laughs> The other thing that kind of took me out of it a little is the use of it's like they have artificial gravity like down pat. Well, he they've got something on their feet. And they then, do. Is that supposed to be something to weigh them down? I don't know if it's supposed to weigh them down or it's supposed to be maybe mag boots like an expanse. But I know in 2001 they have the Velcro shoes. Right. So even though things are spinning, which kind of creates an artificial gravity, they have these Velcro shoes to keep them which is still which to the is ground. still what they do now. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So. 
in this film, it's just, hey, the, you can see the ship spin, so they're good. And I don't really get that sense of immersion. It's more aliens than it is. You're assuming you, I, you're, you think the the spinning is and is making where they are have gravity. Correct. Well, maybe it's not. Maybe that stuff on their shoes is not. Maybe they don't have full gravity, so maybe that's what they need to kind of. But you're right, Magdown. Yeah. yeah, in 2001, they kind of explain it a little bit more, and I get, <clears throat> like you said, with the spinning room, you don't want to have to make a spinning room. It's too mm-hmm. expensive. Uh, but yeah, explaining how they're stationary would help a little bit. But also, like the papers are all on the ground. You know, pens only float when he's trying to explain. Yeah, that's true. It's like a nifty. And, hey, gravity only doesn't work when I want it not. And to work. that's. That's when the when the the dateness of the effects start appearing. When he oh, grabbed yeah. that first one, I was just like, "What? <laughs> what is he grabbing? What is that?" <laughs> With two thousand one, they did obviously a lot more model stuff, and they had a lot more guys in in the black room and kind of moving around that kind of stuff. Correct, but, yeah. Um, and in this one, something when they had the shots of them outside, it's very clear that they're uh, they got the box. Around yeah, them. yeah, yeah. It's just it's very evident. Uh, so it does kind of pull you out a little bit. You obviously it's 1984, so you can't really just hold it to the fire like that. So, you know, that's, oh, not, yeah. that's not unfair for what I'm not. Anything I say is not judging it for that, but you can tell the the effects are dated. The CGA monolith as opposed to like a physical monolith. Yeah. And when you see uh, the first. The first big wide dis- shot of the it. first big wide shot of Discovery One is in front of Jupiter and it's just like, oh, it looks like it's copy and pasted on there. Right. It does not look, it's not a, you know, I wasn't a fan. There are a couple of, of scenes that do look cool. I really like, and again, this is the use of physical over anything else, the probe on Europa mm-hmm. going over the landscape of Europa. I thought that was really cool when the probe gets closer to the ocean and stuff. Mm-hmm. I liked when they're doing the spacewalk, John Lithgow's character. Um, Kurnow? Kurnow, yeah. Uh, and Maxim. Are going over and you see io beneath them and it's all rocky and it looks like an actual satellite image i thought that was well done mm-hmm. and you didn't see the box around them but anytime they're juxtaposed against space they have a gray box around them at mm-hmm. all times yeah this movie also is very uh i'll say political but social uh it's the, i mean it's obviously done in the mid 80s so you did have you had a lot of the cold war stuff going on in the russia versus america right and they just kind of amped that up for 2010 just you know uh even though that the Soviet Union ceases to exist in 1991. So but they didn't know that, but you know, you do have a lot of that stuff um, kind of amped up. It's like, it's almost like a movie of the time set, you know, 20 years in the future. Well, yeah, that's what they, people were afraid yeah, of. No one expected. Yeah. I don't think the Soviet Union to go bankrupt or whatever. They expected, you know, this cold war to continue forever. Everybody was just, yeah, there's a used co- to the Cold War. There's at that a point. bunch of things that they reference in here, like Pan Am Airlines, which they use, which obviously did not is no more. Uh, they talk about the Yankee Stadium, Houston Astrodome. Both are not. Both stop hosting events. Or well, the Astrodome is completely shut down. The Yankee Stadium is was torn down. Right. Like, this is like in 2008. So obviously, you know, way before when they were saying it. Um, Hot so, dogs in September. They've been boiling since May, <laughs> which is not a, which is not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Did you notice that they changed uh, one of the characters? So Helen Mirren's character was changed. Her last name in the book is Orlov, and they changed it to Kerbic because it's Kubrick it's backwards Kubrick without backwards, the C. It's like yeah. why bother? Ugh. Why? It's just you couldn't keep Orlov. You just I couldn't keep the name. I do like that the Time Magazine in the hospital where it's like America versus uh, Russia. Mm-hmm. The Soviet Prime Minister is Kubrick, <laughs> and then Isaac Asimov is the president in there. I was like, oh, that's that's clever. I like that. So the guy who built Hal Nine Thousand uh, and also Sal Nine Thousand mm-hmm. was Chandra. Um, but in the first movie, they reference, I can't remember, then McIntyre or McGillicuddy or something. Name, like. Yeah. But Kubrick changed that. It's in the books, it's actually Chandra that you see here. Which is weird because Kubrick helped write the book with Asimov. I don't. So uh, I don't Clark. get why he changes with the, Clark. Or Clark, yeah. So I don't get why he changes the the I, characters' names. I don't know. And they also, I, I mean, I get changing the location. In the books, it's Jeopardus, uh, like the lesser known moons uh, yeah. of of Saturn. And instead, they change it in the movie for Jupiter. Jupiter is just better known. It's just easier to say, hey, Jupiter, Europa, Io. These are the moons people know and grow up with, like learning in school. Um, but yeah, changing characters' names is kind of weird. Uh, well, I mean, I wonder if, so in the book, the stuff that happens on Jupiter happens on Saturn. Correct. See, it makes more sense with Jupiter because knowing what we know now, which we probably didn't know back then as much, is that Jupiter is mostly gas. 
and Jupiter is thought to be like a proto sun, a sun that didn't make it. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes a lot. It makes kind of a lot of sense. I do like when it starts going uh, or I guess starts turning into a sun um, that it looks like an eyeball a little bit. With oh, the yeah. Black that effect is actually kind of neat. Yeah. With the gas is pulling in. Yeah. And it just starts sucking it in. And, and and but like I have to laugh because so at the end of the movie, they base the the, the people that they make contact with, which they never, they really don't ever really like it's alien life, but they don't really know what to make of it. So it's not it says the you make contact, but you really didn't. But the when it goes, all these worlds are yours except Europa. Attempt no landing there. Right. And then Peter Himes added, use them together, use them in peace. I'm gonna tell you right now, they're obviously gonna go to Europa if you tell them don't land there. Well, in the sequel novels, it's explained they that they have done a bunch of times. Yeah. Guess what happens each and every time? People die. Yeah. People I, I don't. I, like, you're telling them. You listen. We gave you all these planets, but just don't go to Europa. They're gonna be like, why not? We're going to Europa. Yeah. We're going to Europa. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Especially after uh, Floyd and the Russian crew find. Signs of life there. Yeah. Like it's they, like, yeah, they didn't want them. To, yeah, yeah. Clearly it's like, what's up there? What, something's up there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I mean, I like the message it sends. It's like use them in together, use them in peace also lends itself to the sequel novels where the monoliths decide to destroy humanity in the sequel novels because right. they're still a warring species and they kept going to war and stuff like that. So the monoliths were like, you know what? You don't deserve sentience. You're a danger to the galaxy. Yep. You had, so the sequels are, so the 2001 Space Odyssey is the first book. 2010. It's not called. Is it a called the You Make Contact? And I, I don't, don't think so. I think it's, it's called the Second it's Odyssey. Called the Second Odyssey or Odyssey Two. Or 2061 something. is called Odyssey Three, and then 3001, the final Odyssey. I would not mind to see. I would not mind those movies to be done now. Those movies would have to be done like as HBO Max movies because they are. They would make no money. I haven't probably read them, not. But reading the descriptions of what the books are, they're very out there but i wouldn't i wouldn't go back and you can't 2001 is a movie that you should never go back and remake oh no no never it's 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 done it's great and i really wouldn't remake 2010 i'd kind of keep it go i would just i would pick up these from the where you left off from these two and just do these oh absolutely yeah i, I would absolutely have no problem seeing two more movies for, in this series kind of thing well what's great about the series is the movies take place so far in between you can have different characters yeah. you can have different characters i mean haywood floyd is a character in uh, 2060 he's like, but he's, he's like 100 and something yeah. so you can totally recast an older actor yeah to play Scheider's part and obviously you have 60 years of different experiences after that character yeah. so but you've already changed the haywood floyd character once so it's okay to changing it again, it again. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like James Bond or something. Yeah. yeah, it's it's not a big deal at this point. Or Jack Ryan. He's the Jack Ryan of space. <laughs> <laughs> he's 104, 105 or something like that. Yeah. He yeah. gets invited to kind of get as close as you, the public is allowed to Europe on a Starline cruiser or something like that. Right, right. No, I, yeah, that, that's that's fun. So give me something else. Maybe that oh, actually, you know what? Why don't you give me something that maybe you didn't dig? I mean, I just kind of talked about like the effects and stuff. Uh, some of the inconsistencies with the science. I didn't dig... I like the Dave Bowman stuff, but I don't like the the scene with the monolith when Maxim goes up to the monolith. The big one, the, the one big one, and it. it starts to like kind of all the yes. stars kind of come up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you get the shooting star, and you think the shooting star is they shot Maxim off, but the shooting star is actually sending Bowman to Bowman Earth. to Earth to say goodbye to his loved yeah. ones. So what happens to Maxim? And you don't really ever get to know what happens to him. He's dead. But it's like, but when so Bowman gets invited to go, obviously the 2001, the book explains it more, but the movie just kind of shows you he goes through the star field and he kind of goes into this alien kind of cross section where alien species kind of go to different star systems. Kind of like in contact when she takes the super highway to the moon. Very similar. Yes, yeah. yeah. So did Maxim die? Did he go there? Oh, he's dead. So the, the monolith just kills him, but with what? Just like a laser blast? Well, it pushes him off into it pushes him off into space. Where's he? I mean, he's not. Does it back. push him off? To yeah, space? they never bring it doesn't him really back. show that. Well, they show not. the shooting star of Dave a Bowman coming out. Yeah, kick it, it shoots off and it, and it, he gets sent sent off. Did they, they show him. him spinning? I think so. I think you see it going off. I'm pretty sure you see him. See, I don't think you do. Well, you That's never see him again. Exactly. So is he in that star field now? Did he get invited? Did he well, a second star child? I, I don't know. You don't have to read the third book. I guess so. The phrase that in the beginning of the movie, the phrase starts off, my God, it's full of stars. It starts off. You hear it twice. That's not, that's actually not in the movie. Right. They say it is. They say that's the last thing they hear Bowman say when he goes into the monolith. Um, But he does say that in the book. It's in the original book. You talk about how it wasn't floating near Jupiter. It was near Saturn's moon. Uh, And then 
it's when he fly in the in the book when he flies toward the monolith, it changes from a slab into a, to tunnel. a tunnel, right? And then that's and so they never really show that in the movie, which probably because they couldn't, they, right? You know I mean, the I mean? effect is pretty cool. I mean, yeah. you get the idea. I guess the book shows a bunch of alien species, though other starships, just stuff that they yeah. really didn't have the budget for, even for two thousand one. The full phrase that he says that's recorded is "the thing is hollow; it goes on forever." And oh my god, it's full of stars, and then that's it. And this, you just hear, "My god, it's full of stars." Right, which I didn't know because I read the note afterward, and I was like, "I just watched this movie." He did not say, "Oh my god, it's full of stars." I went back and rewatched the end on HBO Max. I'm like. <laughs> guy didn't say nothing <laughs> well no because yeah in in 2001 the biggest thing like the first 23 minutes or 28 minutes are there's no dialogue that's the, and then at the, the end apes. of the movie the end of like 23 there's no dialogue as well so which you know. makes sense because bowman's by himself yeah so he shut down hell at that point and i and real fun fact i never realized that in 2001 when he throws the bone up i thought it was the space station that's the next thing you see that's not I thought the exact same nuke. thing. It's a nuclear bomb. It's a nuclear warhead. That's what you're seeing is floating. I'm like, damn it. I didn't know that. So basically <laughs> the first weapon to the newest weapon, which, you know, obviously. So the, we, we got evolution. Monolith helped us out. Just, just learned how to kill each other. <laughs> One of the things I was a little disappointed about with 2010, it might just be because it's not in the book or the book didn't show it, is that when they reactivate Hal, he doesn't sing Daisy. I would have liked him singing yeah. Daisy or something like, like a connection. With well, that. he deleted all of his memory. So he wouldn't have memory that's, of that. Okay, yeah, that's true. Well, so, I thought he used the worm to delete the bad memories. No, I think he used the worm to get uh, to get the memories of the of the of the mission. Of the mission. But that means that he still would remember well, learning well, a bad memory of being shut down would be. Chandra. Yeah, that's true. I, 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 that's that's true. I just would have liked that kind of connection between the two things. I also, would have liked more of Sal. There's this whole thing with Sal at the beginning of like trying to figure out what was wrong with Hal and we're connected. He says he's going to unplug her and plug her back in and see what happens. Yeah. And you never really yeah. find out what happens there. I Speaking of the scene when he um, when he basically he has to tell how that Chandra has to tell how that, you know, we're going to have to kill you. Well, kill you. Yeah. We have to blow off all the uh, discovery fuel and then we have to go. So and then. He's like, you should go. And like, he's got 30 seconds. What lifetime did he thought he was going to make that space walk in 30 seconds? Then he stops in the middle of the pod room and goes, thank you, Hal. Yeah, like, dude. You get out. Yeah, I I didn't understand. Do you want me to stay with you? You kind of have no choice. Seriously. (laughs) I was, I did not get that. I'm like, there's no way you're going to make this. And like, it it was so, so, it bothered me. I mean, I do like that whole conversation. I like that Hal isn't, you know, you, you end 2001 thinking Hal maybe is kind of the bad guy. Because you don't know exactly why Hal did what he did. Uh, the, like you have assumptions and stuff like that. But my assumption was he just didn't want to get shut down. He didn't want to be. Well, it was because he wanted to to, to do the mission. That's right. What he, said. he wants to do the mission. He wants to complete the mission at all costs. But also, I don't think he wanted like it's a secret mission. Yeah. Well, so you he didn't know that. Shut down. Right. right. But then you find out in this movie that um, somebody from the National Security uh, Administration told, you know, basically gave him the instructions that the mission is more important. Right. And, and now had to kind of lie. About right. It. And then they taught how to lie. And that's what Chandra's problem was that you it was human error. You you told him to do this and he did it. And now you, you know, you you caused this problem. You told a robot that literally can't lie. Yes. To lie. Yeah. So okay. and I. And then, you know, so like the fact that, you know, he tells the truth. Yeah. And you kind of, you kind of, it's almost like this movie is almost a, it's it's almost like a redemption story for Hal 9000. Yes, absolutely. To kind of, you know, explain what he did and why he did it. And he's like, cause everybody knows when you say 2001, everybody knows, oh, Hal 9000, you don't mess with that. He tried to kill him. But like in 2010, it's like, well, this is why. And if you did ever watch 2010, you're always going to view Hal 9000 as evil. And, and you know what I mean? You're never, right. you're going to, if you watch this film, you, then it's going to make you understand what's going on in the first film. Which I kind of like, because mm-hmm. it, it does give a little bit more of an explanation as to what, what's going on, mm-hmm. um, which is cool. And, and in that case, the sequel kind of works to connect the first one. Yeah, absolutely. Some of the pieces and stuff. I love Schneider's face when he tells him, look behind you. And he look, and he's like, and the days oh, and behind day. him. Yeah, I thought that was great. It's I, important yeah. that you believe me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's him talking through. Right. Yeah. Because Bowman is talking to Hal 9000. Um, and then at the end of the movie, he says, oh, you need to do one more thing. It's nice working with you again, Dave. Like that yeah. kind of stuff. I thought that was good. And then he joins him on the monolith. Yes. To become 
I guess part of it. Part of the monolith. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, he has to send a me- message. He has to send the the message out. That's what he. All that's these what he needs of yours. Yeah. 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 Um, I I also like I like Scheider's performance uh, overall, and I actually like it when he's so when they first on they first uh, take him out of hypersleep, and they're tr- they're basically he doesn't know, and they know that stuff down on Earth is getting bad, and the US, naval blockades and the U.S. and the Soviets, right U.S. Yeah. want to mow, and and he's like he doesn't care. He's just like uh, he keeps asking questions, and I like how he's just not he's uh, belligerent American, but he's a man of science. He just wants to find out what's going on, right? And, and, and he's like, aren't you guys also scientists? Like, yeah, let's talk to each other, and then. Uh, uh, Kerbeck, uh, Marin's character's like, we're going to send a probe down. He's like, good. Like, it's like, it's, you know, like it's, it, I, I actually like Roy Scheider a lot in this film and he's a very good actor. So it's not really a shock there. Well, it helps. <laughs> <laughs> I think the fact that you have strong actors in general playing your, your main cast, you know, John Lithgow, Bob Balaban, Helen Mirren. Well, Helen Mirren at the time is not Helen Mirren now. Like, but she's still a strong actress. Well, she's up and coming. Right. Yes. Uh, I think having them led a credence of, of, you know, it's a very human story. It's all about their, it's one of the reasons Sphere fails. When we talk about Sphere as our first episode, no, no, no one will see it. Or hear it. Uh, or hear it, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> well, no one will see it because it's a forgotten film. <laughs> uh, because you don't believe that these people are, you don't believe that these people believe in what they're doing and that their their discovery, you know, you believe these people are interested in discovery. They're interested in what they're doing there all in on the discovery of the monoliths and stuff like that. And that could be that their actors acting in a sequel to one of the greatest films of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think their performances really help cement this film and make it because I mean, they're acting to nothing. There's no monolith out there. They're on sets. Mm-hmm. It's not like there's action. There's no gunplay. There's no excitement. It's their reaction to these things that are happening and how they're explaining the science to us. Yeah. And I think that the strong performances really help that. You also don't have what you would inevitably always would have if this movie was done now, where you have a character that has ulterior motives and is getting secret messages from the government. Oh, yeah. There'd be a Russian there blowing something up or an American doing the same thing. Right. When they have the whole thing, when they send the messages out and they say, you know, you need to leave Russian soil. So you need to go on to discovery and you need to like they don't want to. They're like it's it's not there's nobody on there that's like good, good riddance. Like there's none of that. And I think that. That is, it's almost become cliche now where you always see that in the film. There's always that one dude that needs to, you know, get over his bias over the other people for whatever. The right. Reason. Like you'd have, Kurnow would absolutely be the one with like a bomb. Like you built the discovery too. Do you yeah. really want the uh, Lenovo or whatever to be the one that. Yeah. It, it, stuff like that. And I, I get it. Sometimes that works. But when you always see it. You know, it's a little, you're, you're a little appreciative of something that doesn't do that. Right. And, and you also, and there's. I think what else you have going for 2010 and this being that it was shot in 1983. So for 84 is that it's a movie that has very similar has roots in a lot of like seventies, late seventies filmmaking style. It takes its time. It's got a lot of wide shots. It's got a lot of shots where they're actually just actors performing in the scene and they're not cut up. I think you have a lot of times what they do now is they say, oh, we need to shoot for coverage. We need to shoot ones for coverage. And that's complete BS because they just don't trust the fact that they can't have the actors performing the entire scene for like a good minute and a half. There's a scene where they're sitting in front of the White House and it is a wide shot and it's at least a minute and a half long. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with it. Absolutely. See, that's the thing. Like that's there is a lot. Whether it's from producers or directors or or whoever's in charge, they just have no confidence in their ability to shoot something in a one shot and a wide shot and a long shot and keep it playing in screen in frame. I think it's the fear that the people that aren't talking are going to lose interest and all of a sudden like not act in the same. Right. You're telling a story. You don't trust your actors. Every story has a a way to tell it. I mean, if this is a John Wick action film, okay, I understand quick cuts and stuff, but even then John Wick has big shots and long shots where he's chucking knives and stuff like that. So I just think it goes to a lot of just sensibilities. It goes to a lot of filmmakers now who um, probably don't have the confidence to do a a movie like this because um, there are filmmakers that do do this. And, and it's funny because I can I can think of people like uh, Villanueva. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. We're like the movie, like Arrival. And you're like, and like, oh, the movie's so good. It's like, yeah, but why? Why do you like that movie? It's like you you recognize why you like that movie and stop accepting yeah. what you're seeing that's crap. The other thing that kind of speaks to something you always say on the podcast in terms of the the wide shots and stuff is stage acting. Yes. You know, these actors come from actual, you know, 
acting. They're not just like, yes. you're hot, come act. You're a mod. Like, yes. They're like, they've done the craft. They've done the time. When you're on stage, somebody can be doing a performance right here, but you're to the left of stage, maybe not the focus of attention, but people are going to look at you. You have mm-hmm. to stay in character that whole time. You have to be in the scene. You have to be present in the moment the entire time you're acting. And that's what you actors can never want turn to do. Off. That's Absolutely, what actors yeah. want to do. They want to perform and act. They just don't want to do one line, two lines. Okay, move on. One line, two lines. Okay, move on. Yes, I know there are some actors that can't do stage. And I guess there are some TV actors and some movie actors and they're used to that. That's fine. Whatever. But not the stronger actors always have a base in stage. And I'll take it one step further. Roy Scheider's not going to be a leading man if he's up and coming now. They would not, he would not, they would oh, not, absolutely not. He would, they would, they would put him as a character actor. They would try to place him in a box to be a certain thing. And, and that's unfortunate because clearly he's a leading man and clearly he can carry a film and clearly he has presence. But I don't know if that would be recognized now again, now near no. these days. You know, he what doesn't I mean? look like Brad Pitt. <laughs> this is true, That's and why. and you know, but and but Brad Pitt's got chops. You well, know, what I'm, I mean? I'm yeah. just saying, I got Brad you. Pitt's I, got the look. Yeah, no, I got right, you. No, 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 absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I'm not taking a dig at. No, no, Pitt, no. I, 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 but there are there are some people that have the looks and don't have the chops, but right. still keep getting those roles, and and then you wonder why these movies aren't that good. You know, like I don't know how many times I got to hear about a movie being a masterpiece or fantastic, and it's like you know, calm down. You know. <laughs> It's like, I'll show you some masterpieces and, and movies that are fantastic. And even those movies have flaws. So it's like, come on. Yeah. Enough. All right. Now I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> Let's talk about the fact that they have pet dolphins. Like uh, how awesome it is. Okay. First of all, how <laughs> awesome it is. That kid, that, that kid isn't going to fall into that water. There's no gate. There's no baby gate. There's nothing to stop the kid from being tripped in. And, He's and like five or six. <laughs> <laughs> but also it must stink in there. They got it must stink in there with dead fish every time throwing dead fish uh, in their it's feet. It's 2010, buddy. It's the future. Uh, those those tanks self clean themselves. They got little robots cleaning that. It's tank. not my 2010. <laughs> when he's got it, when uh, Scheider's got a sick Apple II C LCD with the LCD screen. Yeah, <laughs> those power back in the day. I love how close to 1980 2010 is. I know, I know. <laughs> but honestly, it's not untrue. Like a lot of these movies are like the one thing they don't predict. Like everything's so futuristic in these movies that take place in the 2000s, but they never predict the internet. And it's like, that's the only really it's advanced fun. thing we got. I, yeah. I always like when they you see futuristic films and what they predict and how they just like, that's not going to happen. Although I'm still waiting for my replicators uh, from Star Trek because I'll, be, <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be, I'll have that in the house. That's uh, no 3D printers at the beginning. Let me ask you a question. Um, while, we're, while we're here, while we're talking about Star Trek, let me ask you a question. Yes. When they replicate the glass and the drink, what happens to the glass? Do they, they throw it out? They put it back in the replicator. And it takes They it? do show it a couple times. Okay. Yeah, it beams it down and breaks it down into its base molecules and they okay. reuse it. All right, yeah. excellent. I, I have yet to see that, but all right. It does. It'll happen later on. But okay. yeah, they'll, they'll show things, people cleaning up doing that. Okay. Uh, so the other thing I wanted to talk about, well, let's go, well, actually, wait a minute. Let me go back to the dolphin tank. Um, so that his house is actually atop the MGM studio saucer tank in Culver city, which is crazy. Yeah. yeah. So that's a real place. They put the dolphins in there. The dolphins are from local aquarium. Oh, they got awesome names. What were their names? I don't know. Dolphin one and dolphin two. No, oh, they got dumb names. No, one of them was named Lilani, which is fine. The other one was named captain crunch. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I guess that's all right. <laughs> so Peter Himes and Arthur C. Clark spoke but before the set of this movie talked through email connection, the right. first time ever in the movie business that they used it, they both had the same computer system and they both kind of were sending emails. There actually is a book out with those emails. I can't remember what it's called, but there's a book that just has all their emails and what they're talking about as they're making this movie. Right. No, that's, which is pretty cool. I think it's called the Odyssey file. Is the okay. Yeah. Book. Yeah. So for those out there, if you're interested, check it out. I am kind of interested. <laughs> you ain't going to get that. Who you kidding? I ain't getting that. There's also a book uh, about the making of Between Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke for the first movie as well, which seemed interesting as well. You know, the first film score was done by Tony Banks from, from the group Genesis. I did know that. And, and they they said, re- he reused it yeah, for another movie. It. Yeah. Like, yeah, we don't want it. <laughs> I guess you can hear some of the score on his sound. He's got an album called Soundtracks, which has pieces of music that he made for movies. <laughs> well, you knew you were going to use the uh, the classical music that you heard in 2001. My very first note is it's super underwhelming when they use it at the beginning. It's, does it seem it, faster to you? Does it seem a like little bit? Yeah, the pace on it, that. It's a little faster, and then it's just satellites on a sunset coming up. It's just not like some epic yeah. shot. I would have preferred like maybe the moon coming up behind the Earth. 
And then we go to the satellites, but it's just the satellites as the credits go. And it's just like, I get it. It's the sequel to 2001, but it's music's not really yeah. necessary there. Yeah. I mean, it works at the end of 2010 when they show, obviously, the monolith on the melted Europa, which is a really cool effect. I like that 1980s super alien looking Where it's, uh, it's, Wrath of Khan It's growing uh, creatures now. It's like the Genesis planet. Yeah. <laughs> Wrath of Khan. Or, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I like the air breaking scene. I just want to put that out there before I tell you what I don't like. I don't like the voice memos. I don't like the voiceover. I knew you'd have a problem with the voice. I don't like it. I did. Now I understand in the beginning, the, it's like a straight up exposition dump in the beginning of this film with the report on yeah. the, what happened in yeah. 2001. Like stills from the movie, even the first one. I mean, I understand it. So I was okay with it, but I just I wasn't a fan of the of the voice memo stuff. I didn't understand. I, do we need this? I mean, I do we really need this? To- no, because the characters could have discussed that. I yeah, think. I think you could have. I like that they again. I like that they explain more in this than in two thousand one, where they don't explain anything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it could have been that could have been dialogue between characters. They're all scientists that should be talking about this stuff. Yeah, I, I thought you could have worked it within the dialogue better. I liked his message to his son at the end, which is less <sighs> about what was going on and more about what he learned well, from the experience. Maybe if, maybe if that was the only voice memo, like it was just him because there's a voice memo from the, his friend from the white house. Like there's they a had couple that. of them yeah, explaining I, what's I, going on between earth and Russia, which I didn't really need. I didn't mind when they did the, the video message. Oh, the final video Fine, message. Yeah, war is like, breaking out. It, it, I didn't like the multiple voice memo stuff and anything like sure. that. It's just, uh, if, if it's just him and to his kid and, and that was the only thing, and that was just kind of like Roy Schreider's inner dialogue. I would be, I wouldn't love it still, but I'd be okay with it. But because you have multiple different people I, it's and just, it's multiple yeah, times. Yeah, I feel like we're just, we need to keep explaining things for, for everyone else to know. Right. Yeah. That's yeah, all. I prefer it through dialogue. Yeah, I think no, that'd be better. Obviously. Um, why do you think, uh, why do you think it was forgotten? Because it's boring. Ooh. I mean, I love it. Uh, I, I, it's not Shots boring to me. Fired. I think it's interesting, but it's boring to most people. Most people are dumb. Most people are <laughs> dumb. I watch what people come to see in the movies, especially nowadays. I don't. I don't know that. <laughs> I don't think it's much different from 1984. I, people are going to see Beverly Hills Cop. They're oh. not coming to see this. Well, they're going to see Supergirl. They're going to see Dune. Uh, they're going to see all these movies. They're not coming to see 2010, a movie about a bunch of scientists trying to figure out what a a giant black Lego block is. That's what they see in their head. That's all they're thinking. It's like 16 years. Cause 68, 16 years. Yeah. Like I'm over 16, 15, years, over 15 removed. years removed from the, yeah, from the original. Yeah. That's just, I don't think too many people would have seen it. I mean, this is kind of the beginning of what laser disc and VHS and all that. So it's not like people have access to it infinitely in their homes. Although I'm sure it was broadcast on TV a lot. Cause it's a very popular film. You're not getting a huge fans of 2001 you know, coming to see 2010, it's a long time between sequels. That's quite a gamble and probably a reason that I know Tom Hanks was attached to, to do 2060 these, yeah. and other ones, which would have been cool. He could get, he could pull that off though. I mean, with these, he's got to deal with the Apple TV. He's cool with streaming stuff. <laughs> like I said, I think they would make great streaming movies because they are more, not ethereal, but they're more, is it ephemeral is the word I'm looking for? Maybe. The more they're more they're more in your head. They're more they're more thinking movies. They're not movies about action and and, and lasers and and fighting. It's about exploration and peace and understanding and and where you come from. And those themes are themes that are intelligent. And a lot of moviegoers are not intelligent. <laughs> uh, that is not what people Shots come to watch. Fired. Oof. <laughs> uh, I tend to agree. Uh, but, but that's going to theaters has always been the, for the, for the casual viewer. Mm. I mean, this, this movie right. is probably not a casual viewer movie. This movie is more of a, uh, a I don't want to say an adult film goer, but maybe a more mature film goer. You, you need to know you're, you're right. you know, you're going in because you're into 2001. It's not a movie where you're like, Oh, what should we watch? It's so when you're looking up at the screen, this is a movie that, Oh, I re- I read the book. Oh, I love the movie. I, I want to watch it. Yeah, yeah. The, I, I I hear you. It's, I mean, I think MGM got what they wanted out of it. 
the Oscar nomination. So oh. I think that's why they made, like you kind of pointed out, that's why yeah. they made a movie. Like I understand this. that, but the Oscar nods they got are almost just like tossing those knobs. It's almost, it feels like it that. still makes it a critical movie, which is, I think, right. what they will. And this is before. This is before. I want to say this is obviously way before where nominations were done by the whole collective body of the Academy, not specific people within that um, uh, group. Yeah, within that, like you know, like when when a movie like Titanic comes out, right, and it sweeps the nominations. That's because you know they're voted on by everybody. You know what I mean? Like some nominated categories are not nominated by everybody. They're nominated by people within that specific. So only costume designers. Yeah. The costume I, well, they're, they, they're weighted like heavily or something like that. Okay. It's something to do with that. I think it's before that. But I will say this. Let's talk about, we don't really do numbers a lot. So I wanna, I'm going to talk because you brought it up. Right. So when this movie came out, I said it came out on the 7th. That opening weekend, it came out, it was number two. Obviously to Beverly Hills Cop. Mm-hmm. The next three weekends. So the next two weekends. So Beverly Hills Cop opens number one. And then it was number one the next weekend. And then the weekend after that, the Christmas long weekend, it was number one. So it's obviously a huge, huge hit. And then 2010 goes goes to four those next two weekends, then goes up to three. And then it's still four and then six. It never gets higher than two in terms of its space. But like, what's funny is that I'm looking at the number one movie the two weeks after Beverly Hills Cop came out and it's Ghostbusters. And Ghostbusters came out in June. <laughs> Did it have a re-release? I maybe, but like the next two weeks after, so the Christmas long weekend is Beverly Hills Cop, and then the next weekend, the next the twenty eighth, like right before New Year's, is Ghostbusters, and then Beverly Hills Cop again comes back. <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop is a huge hit. It, it's overall gross at at that point uh, at the end of the year when it came out. So it came out on the same weekend as this, the seventh. By the end of the year, which is just that month, right? They already made eighty six million dollars. That's a ton back from right. Back then. Yeah. So it was already a huge hit. So yeah, no, it, it probably was. You know, Eddie Murphy's hot. Probably a big thing. And and yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Supergirl was number one. It's opening weekend. <laughs> Not surprised. Oh wait, yeah, yeah, it was number one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm just. I'm sorry. Now I'm just cycling through here. Okay, I apologize. Yeah, I. Th- I don't think people are gonna. People don't watch 2001 and go. Oh, I got to see 2010. They don't. People right. watch like when people watch Star Wars, they go, I got to watch Empire Strikes Back. You know what I mean? They don't. It's not like that. It's not that type of film that you right. want to go to. the other one. And I also think that the comparison to 2001 hurts it because people when you say, oh, uh, 2001, oh, they made a sequel to 2010. You know, it's like, well, how is it? Eh. You know, like that's the that's sure. the reply. So it's probably I, I, I think it's much I think it's maligned a little unfairly, but it does have it's not perfect. But what movie is? Mm-hmm. I definitely think it's worth a watch. Like we always talk about in the opening of our show. Right. So I don't see, uh, I'm glad I watched it. Let me, how about that? I'm glad that I saw it. I'm glad that I watched it completely and fully. And I, I'm a, I'm a Roy Scheider guy. So I like Roy Scheider. I like seeing him. I was, I forgot that. I didn't even know Helen Mirren was in it. I like John Lithgow. John Lithgow is also somebody that people just kind of go to sleep on. Like they don't realize. Oh, like, he's, he's an amazing actor. He's really, really good. And I know he's goofy in some, a lot of the stuff he's in, but it's like, that's that's still good. Like people don't understand how good that is. What I think is interesting is young John Lithgow sounds way less different, way different than older John Lithgow. Well, of course, older John Lithgow definitely kind of heightened his his speech a little bit. Well, I think when he gets, well, everyone knows him from Third Rock from the Sun, right? But I mean, I mean, I'm always going to remember from Harry and the Hendersons. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, John Lithgow is good. Yeah. So I mean. I would have, I'd absolutely recommend this to people. Sure. Yeah. If you like science fiction. Oh yeah, absolutely. Definitely. It's a yeah. definitely good sci-fi. There's a, like, I think we've talked about it before on the podcast where there's a, there's like a subgenre of sci-fi where it's like sci-fi within the era that they're made like 80s sci-fi. Sure. Yeah. You know I mean like 60s sci-fi, although uh, it's funny. There's a lot of stuff in 2001 that looks a little bit better. 2010 is a little dirty, which is fine, which okay, I'm okay with. Like yeah. A, like a, like a little a grittier. 2001 is definitely future. very clean future. 2001 yeah. is also very antiseptic, very, but that's on purpose. I mean, Kubrick was a photographer to start. So, I mean, that's all, all his stuff is always going to be like that. And that's probably what he was envisioning. But yeah, 2010 is a little grittier, a little dark, a little like a, like a dirty 70s, 80s, early 80s film, which is fine, sure. which, which, which kind of works for it. So, um, yeah, that's all I got. Okay. <laughs> Would you like to play a game of chess? <laughs> no, Al, I'm not very good. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, where can they find us? You can find us at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com or ForgottenEntertainment.com as we are part of the Forgotten Entertainment uh, group. Uh, you can also did, find did us. Do you not where- want to say family? Is that what? Oh, family. Yeah. I, no, I forgot the name. 
<laughs> I was like, shit, what do I say? Forgot an entertainment family. You ain't going to get invited to Dom's house tonight. Damn. Family. <laughs> How you can't kill your crew. They're family. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can uh, also find us wherever you get your podcast. You're clearly listening to us right now. So go ahead and drop us a, a like, a rating, a subscribe, whatever you want to do to help us out. All those kind of things matter and work uh, well in our favor. So go ahead and do that. And uh, that's us. That is us. And we're going to come back next week. Um, the, the It's the episode before Forgotten Horse kicks off again, our third annual Forgotten Horse. But next week, we're actually a little, little teaser, a little tease for Forgotten <laughs> Horse. Segway. Yeah, we're doing, actually, this is, um, is actually also a first, too, because we're doing a movie that did not have a theatrical release. Uh, it's actually an HBO film, which I really think you should all watch. And Butler's going to watch it, too. It's called Citizen X. I have no choice. He has no choice. It's from the 90s. Uh, I like this movie quite a bit. I mean, but I will say that I have not yet. I have not seen it since then. So maybe Ooh. some stuff changed. Maybe not. Uh, we all know it's on HBO Max. So we're good. We don't have to worry about paying for it. Right, well, Butler? I like it. But this movie did not have a theatrical release. So you wouldn't you did not miss this movie in theaters. So maybe I should change the opening <laughs> next week. But that's it. We're doing Citizen X. It's about a Russian serial killer. So let's, you know, it kills kids. Uh, so it's, it should be a fun one. Real should nice. be a fun one. Should be a fun <laughs> one. <laughs> uh, but until then, uh, have a great week. I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema. Open the pod bay doors, Mike. <laughs> Back off, Dave. <laughs> Daisy, Daisy. <laughs>